This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Right you are here on 830 WCCO, and I am in the studio with Mary Meyer. Mary's back, and Mary's a horticulture science faculty member, and Extension Horticulturist helps us out a lot here. Yes, CCO. great to be here, Denny. And we're both fighting a virus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but we're t- we're talking about gardening, so that's, we're happy. <laughs> that's right. Yes, indeed. Right. And I know uh, a, a gardener I know, who's my oldest daughter, has a birthday today. So she, I know she listens oh, well, wonderful. all the time. So happy great. birthday, Tina. Yes. And uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, and uh, yes, you're right. It is. It's a good thing here. Yeah, people are cleaning up their gardens. I got the notice from our community garden. I live in Plymouth that uh, we had D-Day is coming. October 15th for us is the day that we have to have everything out of the garden and cleaned up. Uh-huh. So we're thinking about, yes, harvesting all those tomatoes, uh, all the kale. I have tomatoes, kale, and eggplants still uh, in the garden that I'm going to harvest. And I'm going to pick my green tomatoes, the ones that are mature green, you can pick. I've saved some um, containers that I buy fruit in, like small cases of fruit oh, that sure. have those plastic inserts yeah. or anything like that. Uh, just separate your green tomatoes, and they will ripen at room temp- temperature. Just leaving there. They don't yeah. have to be in sunlight or anything. No, it's heat. That it is heat. Once they're mature green, okay. it's heat that ripens them. So the, t- the, w- the room temperature is a good place to keep them. All right. So, yeah. Uh, I also want to mention that a proud sponsor that makes this show happen is our friends down in Jordan, Minnesota, called By the Yard. They make patio furniture we've told you about for many years, and we appreciate uh, them uh, sponsoring this show for sure. We'll talk about that coming up. Uh, we've got texters already, Mary. Not unusual. Great. And uh, callers are coming in. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, you know we tend to get busy if you're familiar with the show. So give us a call or send us a text. 651-989-9226, or send a text, 81807. Here's a text to Mary. Can sedum be separated or split or transplanted now? You could do that, yes. Sedum is a really kind of, one of our tough perennials. Uh, you can also do it early in the spring as it starts to grow. What you have to deal with right now, of course, is the top of the plant is big and in flower. Actually, sedum is one of our best perennials for pollinators. So if you don't have to do it now, I would wait to do it in the spring. But if you're moving or for some reason you have to do it now, I think you'll have uh, good success with that because it's a tough plant. Okay. Let's go to the phone. There is a line open, 651-989-9226. Sharon is calling from Eden Prairie with a question. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to know, my variegated wood is beautiful, but I wanted to know when I could trim and shape 
Uh, variegated wygelia, yes. Uh, that's um, it, kind of a spring, early summer uh, flowering shrub. And um, if you prune it now, you have a chance of cutting off some of the flower buds that are on it. So I would prune it just after it finishes flowering in uh, in in the springtime. It's not early, early spring that it flowers like forsythia, but it's a little bit later. So just after it finishes flowering. Now, if you're not concerned about the flowers, you can prune it when it's totally dormant, uh, as soon as the leaves fall off of it. Okay. Thank you, Sharon. 651-989-9226. Texter says this, I'm going to slice a big cyclamen in half. Should I do anything to the exposed area before I stick the halves into potting soil? No, you don't need to do anything to that. Just um, as soon as you split it, uh, get it in good contact with the soil because you don't want it to dry out. The center of that uh, could dry out, so uh, just plant it as soon as possible. Have your containers ready, your two containers that you're going to put it in. Oh, okay, very good. good. Uh, By the way, if you want to send a text, that number is 81807. Otherwise, give us a shout by phone. 651-989-9226. 651-989-9226. Carl is calling in from St. Paul this morning. Carl, what's your question for Mary? Uh, hi, Mary. Uh, see, is, I was wondering, is it uh, too late yet uh, to put on the fall winter as your uh, fertilizer for the winter, or how, how late can I put it on up until now? Hang up and listen. Okay, the question is about uh, how late can you put on fall fertilizer for a yeah, lawn? I'm yeah. certain, uh, that he's That's talking what it's about. for, yeah. Yes, you can still do that right now. Uh, what we, we want the fertilizer to get down into the soil and be absorbed. We don't want to have any runoff. That will occur once the soil starts to freeze. So we have a few more weeks, hopefully, before that happens. So right now you're okay with that. Uh, once we get towards November, that it's too late to do that. So... Um, I, I would say within uh, the next week or two, you'll be fine. Yeah, I was looking at the extended forecast this week, Mary, and it looks like the highs anywhere from around 60 to 65 yet. Yes, so. yeah, and the soil temperature lags quite a bit behind that. Yeah. So I would say try to get it done by the 15th of October. Texter yeah. says, uh, do you have any tips for thinning irises? Oh, iris, the big bearded iris. You know, this is kind of a high-maintenance plant. And um, as much as you may not want to work on this, if you many times you don't dig and divide those bearded iris, they don't bloom as well. So thinning them out, that's kind of every three or four years you have to dig them up, thin them out, because they, they are a, a tough perennial also. Um, do I have any tips for doing it? Well, it, uh, late July, early August is the ideal time to do it. Uh, it's pretty late to do that right now. You're really going to affect the flowers if you do it right now. So I would put it on your calendar to do it uh, at the end of July next summer. Well, this show wouldn't be this show if we didn't get like a question like from Dick in Plymouth. Dick, what is your question? Uh, Creeping Charlie, which is everybody's, uh, well, yes. not everybody, but it certainly is my problem. Uh, I've been battling this stuff for, I want to say, years. And I, I I just can't seem to get it under control. I uh, apply. I've done some research on it, and I know dicamba is the uh, number one. Uh, 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 you know, yeah, thing you use herbicide. to fight this stuff. And I put it on in the spring. I put it, I, and I like to do a fall application, um, but it just keeps 
you know, coming back and back and back. And I even wonder if this stuff can, you know, if they can build up a resistance to it um, uh, with my two applications. I don't know. But uh, uh, nobody around me seems to have it as bad as I do. And I, I just... Uh, I don't know how to get frustrated. What do you think, Mary? (laughs) Well, don't take this personally, Dick. (laughs) There are a lot of people with Creepy Charlie. Um, The environment that you have somehow, though, is better than what your neighbors have, or somehow the plants have gotten established at your location. You need to use multiple uh, herbicides. So you have to try to get a herbicide that's got two or three active ingredients, not just dicamba, but two or three active ingredients. And uh, usually two applications, 10 days apart, 14 days apart, in the fall is the best thing. Uh, it's getting kind of late now to put on those herbicides because those don't work well in cool weather conditions. Most of the time they have to be above 55 degrees for those to work well. So it's getting iffy with the weather conditions. So the other thing is you've got to figure out why the environment is more conducive to Creeping Charlie than it is to turf grass, which, which you want there. So is it, is it too shady? Is the soil compacted? Do you need to do aeration? Do you need to use some fine fescue seed rather than Kentucky bluegrass seed that's more tolerant of shade conditions? So it's kind of a multiple-prong approach. So, um, and the, the weed itself uh, has a lot of seeds and it has a strong uh, root system and it comes back from tiny pieces of a root system. So it's just, um, it is a very tough weed to control. Really is. Yeah. All right, Dick, good luck with that fight. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to take a bit of a break here. We have more show to come. We have callers on the line. Hang on. Texters, we're going to get those messages uh, answered too as well. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on 830WCC, brought to us by By the Yard Patio Furniture. We'll talk about that in a moment. Mary Meyer is with us from the University of Minnesota Extension. And uh, Mary, we've got callers and textures, but you, you were telling me, you weren't telling me a story. You were telling me about what's <laughs> Uh, in the newspaper today, that's not yes. We the, kind of, the lead story in the Star Tribune this morning was about the spotted wing Drosophila. Drosophila is tiny, tiny fly, fruit fly, and the damage it's doing on some of our berry crops. So raspberries. So and last week, I think we had a caller yeah. with this question: uh, fall raspberries, uh, sometimes blueberries, any these what we call the soft fruits. Uh, this is a tiny little. Um, Insect lays its eggs on the, the berries before they're ripe. So as they ripen and as we pick them, we find these small little white larvae. And uh, very disconcerting. No one wants to see a small worm-like larva no. in, their, in their raspberries. And so um, we have information on the Extension website. And for homeowners, they can actually put out traps with uh, apple cider vinegar in Mm. and a a red, or not red, yellow, yellow sticky label to attract the adults. And you can trap the adults. Then if you know when they're there, then you know whether or not you have a problem. But um, it's a new pest for us. It's only been here for a couple of years. Mm. And we're hoping that our wonderful Minnesota winter will take out these Drosophila in the winter and we'll kill the adults. We'll find out, I guess. We will find out, yes. So that uh, that's a, if you have fall raspberries, that's something you want to really be on the lookout for, spotted wing Drosophila. That's in the newspaper Fruit, this morning. In the Star Tribune, yes, the okay. lead story on the front page. Wow, how about yeah. that? 
All right. Well, let's get back to business here, uh, Mary. Uh, we've got uh, callers and texters to help out, like uh, Jim, who's calling from uh, Wilmer, Minnesota. Go ahead, Jim. Thanks for waiting. Hey, you're welcome. Hey, I got a question about coneflowers. Um, during the winter, I seem to lose a few of them. I don't know if maybe I'm watering too much late in the season or do I need to protect them? I know they're perennials, but some of them don't come up every year, and I was just wondering what you think about coneflowers and taking care of them. Uh, you're right, Jim. They are not a long-lasting uh, perennial, in my experience, uh, especially if you have some of the newer cultivars that have been developed by by us, by men. Um, they tend to not last as long as the ones in the prairie. You are correct with the well-drained soil and uh, uh, water. Excess water, especially in the winter, is not a good idea for them. So I would hold off with the water, certainly when we get to this time of year, to cut down on the watering so they have well-drained soil through the winter. And think about reseeding them. They do set seeds a lot. Think about uh, self-seeding some of them or just uh, planting them every few years. They're a wonderful uh, flower for pollinators. All right, Jim, thanks for the call. Dar is calling from Circle Pines with a question from Mary. Go ahead, Dar. Hi. We have a maple tree that is uh, shedding yellow leaves with big brown patches on it, at least the size of a pencil eraser. I was wondering what's causing that. It's probably tar spot. Uh, Even though you describe them as brown, often they are more black in appearance. But uh, tar spot um, is not a fatal problem at all on uh, maples. It's um, kind of a it's um, a, a very minor problem. So we we think of it more like uh, cosmetics. Um, it is um, most of the the uh, spots like that are caused by. Uh, small insect injuries and then the plant's reaction to them. So uh, we don't recommend spraying or any type of chemical control. We actually have a uh, a uh, article on that subject, Tar Spot on Maples, on the Extension oh, website. So you can read more about it. It's especially bad this year. Um, I think the weather conditions have um, caused an increase in tar spot. I saw a lot of it on the silver maple that I have okay. in my own property. And what's the website now for folks who want to check oh, yes, it out? Yes, the website, extension.umn.edu, and then click on Garden. You can search Tar Spot or you can search Maple. Uh, you can go in by what what disease does my plant have or look by landscaping, uh, a number of ways you can find That's that. That's a great resource. Uh, Brent is calling from Roseville with a question. Brent, you're on with Mary. Good morning. Uh, I planted a couple of um, pyramidal arborvitae. They're about five feet tall, the first part of July, and they're doing well. And I mulched around them, uh, you know, maybe a foot or two out. My question is, uh, coming winter now, should I put mulch right up against the trunk? I mean, water it well, but right up against the trunk of those arborvitae for the winter? No, no. Mulching close to the trunk of trees and shrubs is really not a good idea. Uh, You don't protect really the trunk with the mulch. If anything, you encourage diseases or worst off, you can encourage stem girdling roots, especially in our large trees. Mulch near the base of the trunk is a bad idea. So most of the tree and shrub roots are further out from the actual trunk itself. So I think you've done everything really well. You want to make sure they have enough water. We've had 
uh, great rainfall this fall, so uh, no mulch near the trunk. All right. Very good. Let's see. I know we have to break here in a minute or two, but uh, Tim is calling from Webster with a question. Uh, Tim, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question about garter snakes. Uh, I inherited a, a large stump in my yard where the snakes continually were congregating, and I dug the stump out, filled it with soil, planted grass, but they're still digging while well, I found little holes where they are going in. Wondering how I can deter them. Well, I don't think we've ever had a snake question before. Yeah, I... I, I I don't know, Tim, uh, how you can do that. What what you've described is a great habitat for wildlife. And we know in wildlife control, the first thing is you've got to determine the habitat, uh, how, how to remove or change that habitat so they don't have a good habitat anymore. There were um, open areas or tunnel areas where they had a great nest down below that, and they can still, they're still trying to access access that and get back to it. So I don't know. Our wildlife specialist in extension, John Logren, works out of uh, Crookston. I, I would search on our website for wildlife control, snake control. Yeah. It'll talk about removing the habitat, which you've uh, attempted to do. Sometimes when snakes come in our homes, it's all about exclusion. Try to figure out where they're coming in, make sure that the, that area is excluded. But in this case, somehow you've got to really dig that up and, and uh, change that entire habitat so that they realize there is no more a place they can live there. Mm. Yeah, but check out uh, the website. Yes, yes. Look on extension.umn.edu and... Um, I, I'm not even sure what's there for snakes. I'll be looking that up at the break myself. <laughs> right, very good. All right, hang on, Mary. We'll take this break. We have another half hour of the show to go. So if you did not get in the first half hour, it's still time for your calls or text messages. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Lawn and Garden show. We call it Smart Garden. Our thanks to folks like Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota that help us out every week, help you out with the questions either by phone or by text. And Mary, as usual, we have both. You know, maybe a suggestion on the snake issue is uh, something you wanted to mention that maybe... Oh, the- yeah. You know, the uh, obviously a pest control operator yeah. is the way to go on that. Yes. And and I, I thought he was going to talk about snakes in his home, which right. is course a big issue but yeah the exclusion and pest control operators are experts at finding how uh pests are getting into your house yes they know that and they know the screening and they know the different ways they can actually put up barriers for the pest to come in you know snakes are not all that bad in that you know they they feed on mice and they feed on a lot of uh, predators that are part of their normal food chain and mm-hmm. so on so, uh, but yeah, it is kind of disconcerting when you know there's a nest and they're increasing. Uh, there, snakes were really common uh, in the prairie. Is there are a lot of uh, tales with the pioneers uh, living with snakes because in the grasslands that was a very common part mm-hmm. of the ecosystem. But these, yeah. most folks, I probably am accurate in saying, most folks don't want them in their house. Never, <laughs> never <laughs> in their house, even though they might be. Taking care of your whole mice population. Yes, no one wants to go there. So pest control operators, that's uh, their job. Our Smart Garden Show is brought to us every week by our friends at By the Yard down in Jordan, Minnesota. And uh, Mary, I tell you what, we have callers, we have texters. Let's uh, get back to it. Uh, Al is calling from St. Paul with a question. Al, you're on with Mary. Yes, I brought my amaryllis in uh, the day before yesterday, getting them ready. But anyway, on the uh, the leaves that are on them are about a foot and a half long. Do I cut them off or just let them dry off? It's the amaryllis. 
Amaryllis, um, you could do either way, uh, Al. Uh, I've talked to people who have successfully overwintered them, and they don't give them a dormant period right now when they bring them in the fall. Other people just let them uh, go dormant. I I wouldn't cut the leaves off. If you're going to let them go dormant and put them in your basement, I would just naturally let those leaves die because any uh, uh, carbohydrates in the leaves can actually be stored in the bulb. So uh, if you're going to give them a dormant period, just let the leaves naturally die. Then uh, around uh, early December or Christmas time, you can bring them up, give them good bright light again, and hopefully there's enough stored food in the bulb for them to reflower. Let's pick up on some uh, text messages, Mary. Uh, Here's one that says, I have uh, some Virginia winter glow that look very ratty. Can I cut them down to the ground to rejuvenate them? You can cut them down to the ground. Uh, At this time of year, I don't know how much they'll rejuvenate because we're almost at the end of the growing season. Uh, I have cut down my peonies and some of my flocks because of botrytis and powdery mildew. Uh, But if they're not diseased, uh, you don't need to cut them back. But if you want to clean them up early and do some early garden cleanup, you can do that now. Okay. How do garden ferns propagate? I'd like to have my existing ones spread down the adjacent hill. Well, it depends on what type of fern you have. There are clump-forming ferns, and then there are rhizomatous ferns like the ostrich fern. So yours might never spread down the hill unless you replant it there. But if you buy the ostrich fern, which has a vigorous rhizome underground, it will grow uh, in many directions. It's uh, quite aggressive. So it depends on what kind of fern you have. I would consider uh, buying uh, the ostrich fern and putting that in the area where you want it to spread. Okay. Let's go back to the phones briefly. Uh, Chris is calling from Brooklyn Park, I believe, with a question. Chris, you're on with Mary. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Morning. Um, I have a question about um, some, oh, God, I forgot the name of them now. Oh. Arbovitae. There you go. Um, I, I planted them next uh, the corner of my yard, and they're doing great, but it's close enough to the boulevard where when the plow trucks come through in the winter, they get buried in the snow. I want to know if I can wrap them in burlap to protect them over the winter, or if I can do that or not. Yeah, so the choice is be, be buried in snow or be wrapped with burlap. Um, I, I guess I would... I would to think about putting at least one side of them to have burlap on it to help protect them from the snow, especially if there's quite a bit of salt spray in that snow that could damage them. Um, Arborvita don't really need to be covered up in the winter time. Normally they don't need protection, but I would think about covering up, especially if they're new, one side of them to prevent uh, too much snow on them or salt damage. Total covering them, I probably wouldn't totally cover them. i just try to do one side, more like a barrier, mm-hmm. so the snow doesn't knock them over. Oh, interesting. There you go, Chris. Uh, Bob is calling from uh, Downing, Wisconsin, I believe, with a question. Bob, you're on CCO with Mary. Yeah, I was wondering if you could just take an apple and the seeds and grow a tree from them. You sure can. It, have no idea what you're going to get as far as the quality of the apple that's going to come out from that. And I have no idea what year it's going to produce the fruit. So it could be five years after you plant the seed. It could be 25 years after you plant the seed. 
probability is it's going to taste something like a crab apple, but you can certainly do it. All the apples that we have today in the store are all clonally propagated, so they're all vegetatively propagated. They originally had two parents and came from a seed, but now all the Honeycrisp are from one tree. So uh, it's kind of a crapshoot, Bob. So if you like, uh, if you like drama or wait and see, uh, it's a good idea. It's a fun thing. They'll yeah. come. You can you can grow them easily from seed. They'll start uh, to grow, uh, but uh, you really don't have any idea what you're going to get. I love Honeycrisp apples, and I tasted for the first time a couple of days ago when I could almost taste uh, a, 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 a sweet, sweet tango. tango. Yeah, that was a great apple. Yes, that, that many, developed here again. Yes, at the university, many people feel sweet tango is better than a Honeycrisp because it has more tang. It's a little yes. bit more flavorful, and there are a lot of sweet tangos in the market today. And yes, yeah, so so definitely try a sweet tango. Get a sweet tango and a Honeycrisp, and uh, have a taste test at your house and see who likes which one better. The newest apple from the university is a Rave and First Kiss, two different names depending on where it's grown, same apple. That's not in the trade yet, but that's coming, coming down the How line. How about that? Yeah, not not uh, quite out there yet. Here is a texture that says how to trim hibiscus before bringing indoors. Well, it depends on how big it is. Those hibiscus can get awfully big. So you can cut them back. You can take some individual stems off at the base to thin it out. You can prune it back by a third from the top. More important than pruning is that you clean up that plant and get any insects off of it before it comes in your house. White flies, aphids, you could have a lot of insects living on that plant now. You don't want those to increase in your house. So spray that plant off really well with uh, water, uh, get a hose, spray it really well, clean the undersides of the leaves, let it dry off, and then bring it inside. Texter says, I have a rose bush and several pots of ground roses, all in pots, and about a foot tall. Can I plant them yet this year in the ground? Well, if you don't plant them in the ground, they'll probably die because in containers, very few roses are ever going to live here in Minnesota. Above ground, those roots are going to die. I would put them in the ground as soon as possible unless you have some other place where you're planning on storing mm. them in the winter, and that gets really problematic. So um, I, I, I would plant them because I'm afraid you might, otherwise they might die. And uh, again, going back to that uh, forecast for the week, it still looks pretty moderate. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Last fall, I don't know if we even had a frost through October. We had that amazingly long growing season. Now, we can never count on that, but yes. All right. Should hollyhocks be cut back in the fall, and if so, how far? Should hollyhocks be cut back in the fall? Well, holly, you know, I don't think I would do that. They have that big gangly stem on there. They're putting out seeds. Hollyhocks are kind of mostly, for the most part, a biennial. They put out that seed that have the small. I think I would leave them alone. I would give them the best chance to shed their seed and do their thing. If you don't care how they're coming up next year, you can cut them back, but I'd leave them there. Okay. Connie in Rochester sends a text uh, asking, is there any solution to crabgrass? Uh, well, 
Fortunately, crabgrass is an annual. It's not the perennial that creeping Charlie and quackgrass are. The solution is pre-emergent weed control. As its small seedling is coming up in the spring, you kill that little seedling. That pre-emergent control um, in early May is the best control for crabgrass. And, yes, you can get a handle on crabgrass with the pre-emergent weed control. We have the chemical ones, and then we have the corn gluten meal. So we have good organic solutions for that. Very good. Mary, we have to take a quick break. We have uh, more show to come, more smart, gar- smart Garden straight ahead here on CCL. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Getting along here with Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. We're talking, and we always like to mention at least once during the show, about what's happening at the wonderful Arboretum. So many things going on at the Minnesota Landscape Arboretum this weekend. Of course, it's the big pumpkin display. The scarecrow, uh, scarecrows are up. You can vote for your favorite scarecrow. There are two wonderful uh, art art exhibits out there. The Houtman Brothers with their duck stamps, incredible wildlife. There's a lot uh, of people interested uh, in those paintings and duck they stamps. They are That's... gorgeous. They are just gorgeous. The three three brothers, and they all have kind of a different style with wildlife paintings, but lots of them are ducks, and the duck stamps that they're known for. Uh, you can see those original paintings in the Reedy Gallery. Uh, the, the book sale is going on for the Anderson Horticultural Library, so a huge amount of used books. You can get some great uh, garden books. And over in the Anderson Horticultural Library is a wonderful, unbelievable uh, kind of needlepoint. It is a needlepoint artistry that's there of foods for sustenance. So incredible uh, art that you can see at the Arboretum. Take a tour. The fall color is starting out there. So lots of great things going on um, at the Arboretum. And how do we get there? Go west of the Twin Cities, just west of Highways 41 and 5 on the south side. Um, So great place to take a walk, look at the art. Oh, buy some apples at the Apple House. Buy some pumpkins. Great family outing, isn't it? Yes. You know, in the Star Tribune earlier this week, uh, John and Jenny Tull picked those pumpkins. They have almost 300 kinds of pumpkins and squash. Wow. Seeds from around the world. I guarantee you, you will see a squash that you have not seen before if you see the collection of pumpkins and squash at the Arboretum. In the, in the Oswald Visitor Center, they are named. So there's a name on all those different pumpkins in a tower. You can check that out. It's <laughs> a great place. Hello, it says, the text, I overwatered a sedum plant in a pot, had standing water in a saucer, and the plant developed a spotted fungus. I winter it in the garage, and I've had great luck. Do I need to treat the fungus now, uh, do that when it co- or do that when it comes back in the spring, if it is not reinfected? Did you get that? I wouldn't treat it with anything, but I would really help it to dry out. So, yeah, obviously remove the water it's standing in, maybe even take the pot off and just let it sit and dry out. Hopefully just drying out will kill the fungus. There's grass under our river birch, pale as far out as the branches reach. Any idea why? And uh, and they're open to suggestions. So the grass is pale. 
So not good green color. So the grass and the birch are both competing for the nitrogen that's in the soil. Uh, Birch tend to be chlorotic. uh, Our soils tend to be uh, higher pH, so not as much nitrogen is available as should be. So I would consider putting on some nitrogen fertilizer. If you can find a lawn fertilizer that has iron in it, that will help as well. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. Carl in St. Paul has been waiting. Go ahead, Carl. Thank you. Hi, Mary. I called back. I forgot to ask you a question. We, we, I planted a uh, hydrangea plant this past spring and so forth and watered it real good. And it's, it's supposed to turn blue. But in order for it to turn blue, uh, she's, my wife looked up on the computer. It's save your coffee grounds and bury coffee grounds around it. And the other question is that what else should I do for it? Uh, before winter comes. So this uh, coffee grounds is not going to be enough acid to do it. To really get that blue color, you got to get that high acid. And that means sulfur or a really much more of an impact on the soil. This is tough because we have the alkaline soils. So you you got to really uh, adjust that whole thing around. Uh, it's almost easier to do it before you plant than trying to do it afterwards. We have the recommendations for that on the extension website is how to modify the color uh, in certain hydrangeas, the macrophyllas, you can do that. But it's a challenge. I would encourage you to just think about liking the color that you've got rather than trying to go for that blue. But um, it's it's a, a, a quite an effort to do that. But you can find that on the extension website. Texter says this, Mary, I have tried various ways to keep and or propagate geraniums. What have you found to be the most successful method? Well, frankly, the most successful method is buying new plants every year from your garden <laughs> center. But... A lot of people do successfully overwinter the entire plant in their basement, cut it back, leave it kind of just barely alive, and then growing it again from the base. That is, it, keeping it in soil, growing it again from the base is uh, successful. Taking cuttings now, if you have a big, vigorous geranium, you can take the tip cuttings now and get those to root and grow those indoors as uh plants in a sunny, bright window indoors. That's another good way to do it. The paper bag method of putting the whole plant in a paper bag is the least successful. Here's a texture that has a different slant on Creeping Charlie. It says, I keep a patch of Creeping Charlie because I love the way it smells when I cut it. <laughs> it's the, it is amazingly fragrant, and we have it in our backyard. And the lawnmower, the cuttings on the lawnmower in the garage remain fragrant for several days after it's got... <laughs> Unlike grass how, clippings. Well, see, that's in that mint family. It's the mint, And the yeah. mint family has got an aroma. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I love it. When and how to replant tulip bulbs, I think that's what they're saying. Yeah, so tulips go in the ground now. Thank you for uh, reminding us that this is the prime season for planting our spring flowering bulbs. Go to the garden center if you haven't already. Pick your bulbs out because they're great for the pollinators in uh, early spring. If you have bulbs that you've purchased, plant them now as soon as possible. If you've dug up bulbs this spring and we're going to replant them now again in the fall, plant them as soon as possible. This texture says, can it still be planted this time of year? Yes, you can still plant a stilby if it's in, you know, I assume you're buying plants uh, from a garden center, healthy plants in a container, yes, plant them as soon as possible. 
Texter says, I, I had a problem this year with insects eating our hosta plants. Is there anything I need to do now to ensure healthy leaves next spring? Could that be uh, slugs, do you think? What? Very likely that's slugs. We did have quite a bit of hail damage uh, on hosta, so sometimes it's difficult to tell uh, is it hail or is it is slugs. But, yes, there are some great organic uh, slug baits that are out there. Slugs do not like anything uh, rough and sharp like diatomaceous earth and so on that you can put around them. They're also, uh, they can be trapped. There are a number of ways to trap them. So there's some good methods for controlling slugs without using uh, chemicals. Well, we just have basically seconds uh, to go. And maybe as we uh, part our ways here, Mary, always good to see you, by the way. Uh, Great to be here, Denny. Uh, let's give that uh, website again. Yes, extension dot umn dot edu click on garden you can find your pest control there you can find what weed is that you can look for insects you can read about the spotted wing drosophila read about the emerald ash borer all the insects that we are concerned about in minnesota excellent all right mary we'll see you down the road great to be here thanks very much mary meyer from the university of minnesota this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.